Hey folks, this is Trust in the Process, the podcast with myself, Travis Fritz, uh, about brewing uh, for generally brewers and other folks uh, who are interested in the profession. Uh, We have had recently the opportunity to speak to a number of folks who are particularly interesting to me. And now we're talking to John Haggerty. Who is the brewmaster? <laughs> John Haggerty is one of my favorite people, the brewmaster of Warped Wing uh, Brewing Company. He has a fantastically interesting uh, story. I think it should be interesting to anybody who is interested in uh, brewing uh, and just beer in general. Uh, and I cannot tell you how much I've been looking forward to this conversation. Um, so we are going to kick it off, John. Uh, by talking a little bit about where you are from uh, originally. I, you are from Indiana. Yes, I am a, I am a Hoosier, born and raised. A, a Hoosier. And from yeah. kind of middle south Indiana, isn't that where it is? Uh, north side of Indianapolis. Oh, no. uh, okay. Yeah, I grew up in a little town called Zionsville, which, you know, today is a thousand percent suburban, you know, Mecca. Uh, but back, you know, in the in the 70s, when my folks moved there with my my sister and I, and then my brother came along later, when we moved there, um, it was starting to suburbanize, but it was still a farm community, right? And it's interesting to talk to people now when I do have the occasion to go back to Indiana. Uh, and you tell them that you're from Zionsville, you grew up in Zionsville, you get kind of the look, you know, sure. Oh, you come yeah. from money. Mr. Hoity Toity. Uh, and it's like, yeah, yes, you know, maybe um, my family did okay. But it was still a farm community back then. I mean, I have pretty fond memories of like skipping out of high school and going out to the swimming hole in the farmer's cornfield and hiking down the railroad tracks. And you'd meet up with all the kids from like Sheridan and Lebanon and everything, you know, and you'd be drinking beer and going on the rope swing and, you know, on you know, Thursday afternoon when you were doing that, everybody was like pals. And then on Friday night at the football game, everybody was beating the shit out of each other. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's in the concession stand, right? I mean, yeah. that's the way it went. You know that I'm from a, a small town as well, and that's what you have to do, man. People make their own fun. You that's know? Right. Yeah, I'm bored. Let's get in a fight. But I do think I do think that there is a weird sense of, and this is not particular to small towns for sure, but there is a weird sense of adventure, I think, that comes uh, from growing up in a place like that and having to make your own yeah. uh, quite often. Uh, and you have, you know, we're both older now, but certainly in your younger years had quite a sense of adventure and it took you all over the place. Um, and brewing, I think, was was part of that. So you that, didn't yeah. you go to Miami of Ohio? I did. I went to college at Miami, uh, right down the road here from the brewery, about an hour. And I got a degree in architecture. I, I got one paying gig that I did for a guy. I, I pulled up some uh, 
zoning drawings for him, and he paid me to do that remarkably, and that was the one paying job I got out of that degree. Uh, wow. Yeah, you know, and then I got into, you know, sort of a, there, there's a long sort of path there into how I got into, into brewing. Um, you know, and that degree has really helped me a lot, actually, uh, in terms of running the brewery and getting the brewery spatially organized so that it's easier to work in. You know, there's a, there's a labor savings if uh, your space is well organized. And, you know, I know you've worked in a number of breweries. I have too. And, you know, when you work in one that's not well spatially organized, you're just fighting yourself constantly. Constantly. And it is an, it's a nightmare, you know. Yeah, can and, be. Uh, yeah, and I don't, it's funny, you know, that, you know, some finance people and some management people don't understand the cost associated with that, right? Well, I don't, I think a lot of them don't understand manual labor at all. Yeah. There's, there's a concept beyond that that they have to maybe understand yeah. first. Well, yeah, and that's funny because, you know, back when I was a kid, when I was in high school, I worked for this landscape group out of Zionsville called Perkins which I don't may still be around. I have no idea. Uh, but those were like my first jobs was doing landscape, right? Digging holes and cutting grass and building retaining walls. And I mean, they, they busted your nuts, man. I yeah, mean, absolutely. you knew, you knew the value of a dollar at the end of the day. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when I got to brewing, you know, it, it's a, it's a physical job without a doubt, but, it was nothing compared to that. Right. I was like, oh, right. I do this in my sleep, you know? Yeah, I grew up milking cows and cutting wood and right. mowing lawns and being inside uh, when it was cold was, that that made Bruin beat all those jobs for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, among other things. Yes. But uh, so from Ohio, I'm, I'm remembering, we, you know, we didn't do like a prep talk on this. So I'm remembering stuff sometimes from 20 years ago. Right, uh, when you and I were in brewing school together. We uh, were in brewing school together, yeah. But uh, I, was your first job the one you had in Seattle or the one you had in Madison? Or am I missing no, Seattle, it? Seattle was first. So when I, I graduated college in 91, and uh, I had no real job prospects. And so uh, a couple of buddies and myself, uh, it was uh, Jay Wente and Scott McDermott, Mike Curlin and Dan Waltman and myself. We drove out. Uh, to, we just decided, oh, we're moving to Seattle. I, don't ask me how we came to that decision. I don't really remember. I think there was like a 12-pack of Goble involved in that. That's the uh, Yeah. And uh, we're like, hey, we're moving to Seattle. So we did. Uh, that fall of that year that we graduated, we all moved out to Seattle. It was like August, September. Okay. Like and so we spent the summer working whatever jobs to make money to save up to finance our trip. And then we we spent like a week or so driving across the country. And, you know, we stopped at like Devil's Tower and the Badlands and Yosemite, not Yosemite, uh, Yellowstone, uh, you know, stuff like that all the way across. And so it was great. It was a lot of fun. And then we, we get to Seattle, of course, we, we didn't really know anybody. Uh, I think Dan had an aunt and uncle out there. So we slept on their living room floor for a night in Tacoma until we could, you know, find an apartment, and, you know, so five and of us. This, this is like, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not doing this to date you just to kind of put it in perspective for yeah. folks. When is this? This is 91. So, you know, uh, 
Oh, dude, you moved to Seattle in 1991. Yeah, as a cultural That's reference, right? I remember being in the car, I think it was in like Idaho or something, and hearing Smells Like Teen Spirit from Nirvana for the first time on the radio. We're going right? there. Yeah. Yeah. No, for real. I mean, yeah. that band broke while I was moving to Seattle, just to Perfect. give people perspective on the, on the timing. And so then I spent four years there, which was great, right? Because it was the pop culture epicenter of the universe. 100%. When you're like 21, 22 years old, dude, there's no better place to be, right? Oh, I mean, hell this no. Is, this is my people talking to me. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And I'm living right in the middle. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit, but, you know, I got working in this brew pub there in Seattle called the Big Time Brewery. And guys like Chris Novoselic, Dave Grohl, uh, Eddie Vedder, you know, all these guys from, from you know, the big bands would come in and have pints in lunch or dinner or whatever with, with their group of associates in our tap room, right? And you'd be in the brewery working and then you'd look over and be like, oh, look, Dave Grohl's sitting right there having a pint on the other side yeah. of this piece of glass from where I'm making yeah. beer. Right? Yeah. I imagine it must have been like living in Detroit in the early 60s, right? Like just Yeah, just well, yeah, I mean I would imagine because there's just there's just these big rock pop stars walking around and just walking down the street like normal people and you know we were always really I mean like anybody that achieves that magnitude of fame, right? There's a there's a certain amount of respect that you want to show them because you want them to keep coming back to your place, 100%. right? So it's like you see them, but it's like I'm not going to go over there and bug them. If there's an occasion exactly. for me to interact with them, like they need something and they ask me for it, or I see that they need something and I ask them if they would like it, then that's right. one thing, right? Yep. But otherwise, you kind of you kind of left them to their own devices, right? But it's Absolutely. still it's still interesting, you know. Yeah, but there was a magic happening there yeah. for sure. I think I a magic. next to Kim Thale one time at a at a club out there when we were seeing some bands. He was in the urinal next to me. Really? That's something to him. And then, you know, that's how that went. Well, that's awesome. I mean, you know, there uh, I, I was uh, a, a young and uh, learning to play guitar at that time and worship. Yeah, I remember uh, you were a big Pearl Jam fan, if I remember correct right i was a big pearl jam fan yeah i was a pearl yeah. jam fan I, I mean i was a fan of a few of those those folks but yeah, you know I, yeah, yeah i liked uh, i like pearl jam the most because they were good guitar players you know yeah undeniably yeah. um so so you're there and you're on the you're on the wasn't your brewery on or right by the the, the pier there in seattle uh no uh okay. the Pike brewery was there but i did not work Pike. Uh, okay. A lot of my, a lot of my colleagues and mentors worked at Pike. Okay. Um, I worked for a place called Big Time Brewery, you know, and I first got a job working there in the kitchen. Uh, okay. I, I didn't know anything about beer. Okay. Yeah, right. I was, just, I was working some odd jobs. I did some construction for a while and worked in a grocery store and did some other stuff. But eventually, I ended up uh, getting hired to work in the kitchen at this brew pub called Big Time Brewery. As far as I know, it's still there. Uh, and it's in the university district. Um, and, you know, um, having a good time, making a lot of friends at this place. It's a really great crew. I mean, some some of the best, I still, I don't talk to those people much anymore, but, you know, some of those people I still consider on my list of best friends ever, right? I mean, they were yeah. just good people. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm working there and I'm thinking, well, you know, geez, if I'm going to, 
you know, if I'm going to waste my time working in this kitchen, I might as well learn how to do something cool, like make beer. Right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. People, people don't think about this as much uh, because craft beer is just ubiquitous. It's everywhere. But yeah. at that time, the whole thing, man, like the whole idea of, you know, hippies making beer was nobody knew what yeah. it was going to be. It just was cool. Yeah. So like the earliest, the earliest guys were like New Albion, I think it was maybe 81 or 82. And I think sure. Sierra was in the early 80s. And I think Bells was the first here in the Midwest. They 84. were around 85, 84, yeah. 85. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was pretty, it was pretty unheard of still. I mean, when yeah. I got to the coast, I didn't know anything about craft beer. Right. And, uh, you know, we started to get into it. We were, we were starting to drink some different beers at the time. Uh, there was a place I used to go hang out called the College Inn Pub that was just down the road from this brewery. That's where I started drinking craft beer. And, uh, you know, it was good. It got us into it. I mean, I remember like Sierra Celebration Ale. I mean, we used to look forward to that every year. It was a huge deal. And it's like, oh, my God, it's so hoppy. You know, and now you drink it. And you're like, oh, it's like 50 IBUs. But, 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 still, but you still can clearly understand why you were impressed by it back then. I mean, I oh, yeah. yeah there's a lot of like, back then. A lot of hops was like 35 IBUs. Right. <laughs> that it smelled of hops at all was kind of right. a, a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm just kind of want to put no, it. all right. I'm, I'm working at uh, in the kitchen, and so this guy's name's Ed Tringali, and Ed's still around. I think he does a lot of consulting in Asia now. Uh, I run into him every once in a while at trade shows or conferences and stuff. But really great dude, and and first brewer I worked for, and I used to bug the shit out of Ed, right? Like <laughs> I'd see him come and be like, "Hey, Ed, I want to work in the brewery," right? That'd be day one. Day two, hey, Ed, day three, hey, Ed. This went on for like four or five months, like every day. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I had to be driving that guy up the freaking wall. However you get in, man. Right. So, Because it was only two guys. There was uh, Ed, who was full time. And then there was this guy, Matt Cottingham, uh, who was the assistant brewer. And he was part time. He worked like two or three days a week in the brewery. And then he bartended the rest of the time. Um, and so Matt, uh, Matt was a lit literature major and he wanted to go back to grad school. I think he wanted to be a, an author or a writer. And so I, I don't know what happened to him, he, but he left to go to grad school in New Mexico. And so when he left, Ed's like, well, look, you've been bugging the crap out of me. Why don't you come give it a try? And like I said, you know, I was used to doing landscape and construction. And st so it's like working in the brewery. It's like, dude, I can do this in my sleep. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, he gave me the gig. And I, I know that wasn't really what the management of the place wanted, right? They liked to have people who were bartenders in that role because they wanted the bartenders to be able to talk about beer to the clientele, right? Okay. So I wasn't a bartender and they didn't have any designs on making me one because uh, I was a little surly in my youth and uh in your youth sure yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay i'm still surly. <laughs> uh maybe i'm more surly even <laughs> i would guess uh but but uh so i don't know that they were totally behind that uh but it's what ed wanted and i did a good enough job that they allowed it to happen so uh you know i worked with ed you know for about a year and then ed had uh Ed, Ed got mugged and he had this five gallon Cornelius keg because we used to use those back Absolutely. in the day. 
And uh, this guy, he, Ed, was moving apartments and he was packing his stuff up and he had this five gallon keg sitting on the sidewalk by his car. And this dude picked it up and hit him in the head with it. And it busted his eardrum. Jeez. Yeah. So then Ed had, uh, he had all these equilibrium problems in, uh, he had to have surgery and all this stuff. And so he retired from brewing for a while because he couldn't do the physical labor. And so uh, I wasn't, I wasn't ready yet uh, to take on being the main guy. You know, I'd been making beer for a year, you know, right. and I hadn't right. been home brewing and, you know, whatever. So uh, they hired this guy out of the Pike Brewery and the Pike Brewery had this really uh, all-star cast of brewers at the time. Uh, Fal Allen was the head brewer, Fal's Fal Allen. manager down in Anderson Valley. So it was great because I got to hang out with Fal and I got to know Fal. And uh, Kevin Forehand was there, uh, Bill Jenkins, uh, who might be, I mean, he was the head brewer for a while after I left big time. Uh, he might still be, I have no idea. And then of course, Dick Cantwell was there. Wow. And, uh, so I got to know all these guys and big time hired Dick to come in and be the head drawer. So I got to work directly with Dick for about two or three years there, at wow. Dick, which was, was awesome. It was really great. Uh, Dick was great. Ed was a great teacher too. Dick was a great teacher. Fowl was a great teacher. Uh, all those guys. I mean, I still am in contact pretty regularly with Dick and Fowl. Um, and sometimes it's just to say hi. And sometimes it's like, Hey man, I got this problem going on in the brewery. What do you guys think? Um, so they've been, they've been a really great resource for me personally in my career. And I can't, I can't thank those guys enough. Right. Really. really of course. Um, but I worked with Dick for a couple of years and, and, uh, you know, and then I, then I left and went, backpacking around the world. We can get into that in a minute. But the thing that was interesting about when I left, uh, you know, I remember distinctly, I was at work one day in uh, like Kurt Cobain had accidentally overdosed in Italy or something you know, sure. on, on drugs, right? Yeah. So I, I don't, it might've been heroin or who knows. I, I, can't. I think that was his thing. But yeah, he, he survived and then, and everybody was like, holy, Holy Christ. Right. It's real. Yeah. And uh, about, I don't know, maybe two or three weeks, a month later or something like that is when he shot himself. And I was working in the brewery and it came on the radio because we used to, you know, we'd have the radio going and it came on and they announced it. And I remember I walked out into the pub and uh, Dick was sitting out there because, you know, the place was tiny. We didn't have an office for the brewers. right? Sure, so no. Would, you would work at a table in the pub before we opened. Dick was sitting there working on a recipe or something. And I was like, dude, Kurt Cobain just shot himself and is dead. And he looked at me and he went, that asshole. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I will never forget that. Right. And I, I left Seattle maybe a month after they had that wake. Yeah. For him and, in uh what's her name courtney love yeah courtney love gave the the eulogy where she called him an asshole and whatever. yeah that i i mean i dude i was 14 or 15 when that happened man that i wasn't a gigantic nirvana fan but obviously it was a huge part of the zeitgeist i remember it clearly right. so for me it was always interesting because i basically rolled into town the day smells like teen spirit broke and i left town basically 
when he killed himself. Right? Right. Those are my those are my years in Seattle that defined it. Right. Wow. Um, um, perfect, perfect time to be in Seattle, frankly. The yeah, it was. It, it yeah. really was. I mean, you couldn't have, you couldn't have timed it any better. And I remember a buddy of mine uh, from high school, Jay Petroy, uh, moved out to Seattle while I was there. He lived there with me for a couple of years. And I remember he called me um, and he said, well, I'm thinking about moving to the West Coast. And I was like, well, I think that's a good idea. Obviously, because I, yeah. I myself, I'm here. Uh, and I'm like, well, where are you thinking about moving to? And he's like, well, I'm considering either San Francisco or Seattle. And I said, okay, dude, here's my <laughs> advice, right? Because at, you know, 22, 23 years old, you should be giving advice to people. Oh, I, I yeah, I did it all the time. It was a genius right. move. But I said, man, San Francisco was your parents' era. Yep. Seattle is your generation's era and you better get your ass up here. Yeah. And so he did. So yep. he moved to Seattle. So, so you now i was uh this is by the way uh for for some other context this is six or seven years before you and i met um yeah. over in berlin um but one of the things that uh that because i was you know in 21 22 i think when we met yeah um and you had had all this kind of life experience and i was coming out of lansing michigan i mean i read a lot but i i didn't know a lot of people who were um Oops, you know, who traveled a lot and who had interesting careers. That's okay. Uh, interesting careers. So, you know, I was fascinated. And by the way, we, we met as, and I'm not moving forward into this area yet, but um, just to give some context, um, you know, I, I, we were the only, I think, Americans there at that we, time. You and I in, uh, yeah, you and I. Joel Brochet was from Manitoba, which is not. Yeah, Canada. Yeah, he was not the same, but maybe Manitoba is more like the U.S. But uh so it was it was fascinating to me to know that you had again had the depth of experience in work that you had had, but also in uh, just travel. So um, I remember uh, you know having conversations with you specifically about your time in uh, in India, but I know you went to a lot more places than that. So yeah, so so you know when I left uh, when I left the big time, I had been dating this girl. There's always a girl, right? Yeah, always. Yeah, I've been dating this girl, and we had sort of put this plan together that, you know, we were going to sell everything that we owned and go backpack around the world. And she was going to apply to graduate school. And then we would, when we came back, we would move to wherever she got accepted to. And so that was our plan. Now, in the meantime, uh, as we were saving our money and trying to, you know, get ourselves prepped up, uh, that guy, Ed, who I told you about, uh, who was doing the consulting in Asia, he called me and he said, hey, look, I'm putting this brewery together in Hong Kong and they need someone to run it. You know, are you interested in doing it? And I was like, hell yeah, brother. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember going to this this girl uh, and telling her, hey, what do you think about this? And, and she was not down for it, right? She didn't want to do it. She didn't want to move to Hong Kong. She wanted to go on this, this backpacking trip. And so I, I passed that opportunity up. But it was interesting because... Um, the guy asked me, he's like, hey, well, can you refer me to somebody? And so a guy that I had become friends with in Seattle, his name's Ted Miller, who happened to be from Indianapolis also, um, which is, you know, sort of, you know, we bonded over playing basketball out in the park. Um, I was like, yeah, call this guy Ted. So Ted took this job, right? And Ted now, Ted and his wife and their kids live over in Indianapolis. And they got a couple of breweries over there, Brass Ray Bruges and uh, another one called the, the Owner's Wife. 
I think. And it's been a minute since I've seen Ted, but it's just funny how this stuff, how it all, yeah. you know, the symmetry. All, yeah. But anyway, so uh, I, I left, uh, I sold everything I owned. Uh, and then she and I, we went to China. We, we flew from Seattle to China. That was an adventure. God, about because uh, not only being in China at the time, uh, so this is like 95, maybe. Right. Uh, but at the time when we went, it, they were having the UN's Women's Conference in Beijing. And so they were they were denying everybody's visas. Right. So like Hillary Clinton was the first lady. Her visa got denied. Right. I mean, that's how like crazy it was. And so, you know, I already bought these airline tickets and I had applied three times to the Chinese embassy for a, a visa and it got denied three times. Jeez. And I, I've got like a week left and I'm like, right. I have time to apply again. So I went to my travel agent. He's like, well, bring me my bring me the passports and 50 bucks. I know somebody down in the international district. I know somebody, right? Yeah, right. That's great. So like, Ooh, okay. So I, you know, <laughs> it. and he's like, come back to my come back to my office next Friday. Uh, office closes at, at five. Be here at four fifty. Okay. Well, my flight leaves Saturday morning. Right? So we're, I'm sitting in his office at four fifty, and I'm watching the clock and four fifty one, four fifty two. So like at five oh one this Chinese courier shows up in his office, hands over the passports with a visa stamp in them, and we're good. Holy shit. Where those came from? You know, I have no idea. I don't know who got bribed in the process. But they were legitimate. But they were using Well, they, they got us into the country, right? And they were legitimate. On the airplane, I'm like, I hope this thing's legitimate. Someone will be over in Beijing <laughs> out of luck otherwise, right? It's a so, long flight back. Yeah. In, 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 there's a lot of stories like that along the way, but we went to China, ended up going down to Hong Kong, saw Ted down there in Hong Kong, uh, which was awesome. Uh, went over, flew from there to like Thailand in, in Laos, uh, then over to, uh, in Vietnam, India, Nepal, Turkey, even, you know, Mediterranean Europe, Greece, Spain, et cetera. And then and back and, and that took about, uh 11 11 and a half months something like that seems like so, a good amount of time yeah and you know i probably could have been convinced to not come back uh that might have been like my international life that, that could have gone there sure but i was with this girl right and in uh you know she really had her set, heart set on going to graduate school and so that's how I ended up in Madison, Wisconsin, because she got accepted to school there. She got accepted in a couple different places. Uh, but that was the one where it's like, well, I think I have the best opportunity to get hired into a brewery if we move to Wisconsin. And so uh, we all agreed. And so that's how we ended up there. And that was interesting because when I got back, uh, you know, we're driving around in Madison. My parents had this old beat up Jeep Cherokee, you know, that was like 25 years old. And they're like, here, why don't you, you can have this, get your feet set again, which was nice. And uh, we're driving around in Madison looking for an apartment and we're staying in some flea bag motel for like, you know, $15 a night and the hookers are next door and whatever. Jesus. Uh, well, we're at this, at this like burrito stand or something in Madison. I can't remember what it's called, but it's something like that. And it was a, there's a walk up window. So we're in line at the window and this guy comes up behind me and he's like, Hey man, what's your deal? 
And I'm like, excuse me? I mean, in yeah, what I way? I don't know anybody in this town. So <laughs> right. Everybody off just waiting for a burrito. Just trying to get a burrito, man. I got no deal. Right. And I'm like, I'm sorry. What, what, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, I've seen you guys driving around all over town. We've been like <laughs> all over the place, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, you know, we're, you know, we're moving to town. Here's our story. You know, she's in graduate school and, you know, I, I, I'm a brewer and, da, da, da. and he's like, oh, I 10 bar at the Great Dane, which is ah. right down the road. And he's like, let me, why don't you come down and we got this band playing and I'll introduce you to the guys that own it. I'm like, oh, perfect. Sweet. Right? This is the first day I'm in Madison, by the way. Right? Jeez. Kismet. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, cool. So uh, we walked down there that evening. We, you know, we agreed to meet him at whatever time, seven, eight o'clock, whatever it was. So I go down there, and he introduces me to Rob Labreglio. Rob is a uh, partner and brewmaster uh, for Great Dane. Um, and as far as I know, is he still he's still involved in, with the Great Dane? Uh, I don't know what his role is now, but uh, at the time he was in charge of all the brewing operations. And so I'm sitting there chatting with Rob. And in fact, you know, as the, as the guy, I could see the guy talking to Rob. He's like, hey, I want you to, I want you to come over here and meet John. And they're chatting. And uh, the guy leans over to me and says, hey, Rob wants to know where you worked in Seattle. <laughs> I said, oh, with Big Time Brewery. And the guy turns around and tells Rob, and you can just see it in his face. He's like, looks like a record scratch. What? Yeah. yeah. Because Rob started his brewing career at a place called the Triple Rock in Berkeley, California, and the same guys own both places. Really? Yeah. The, this is this is more symmetry here. Yeah, right? <laughs> and so now, Rob, yeah, now he's interested in me, right? Yeah. And uh, so we, we chatted, and as it, you know, as it turns out, this guy that was his assistant brewer uh, had been with him for a couple of years, uh, was Japanese and was there, uh for college right but his he had graduated and his visa was up so he was going back to japan perfect so he needed to hire somebody and boom offered me the job basically the next day i came in and met with rob for lunch he offered me the job on the spot so within not even 48 hours of being in madison boom i got a job working in the brewery beautiful yeah beautiful. and it stayed like that for another eight years or so where you could pretty much just walk into a town at a brewery and maybe expect a job. But that is insane. Obviously. Yeah. Yes. Um, the symmetry was opening so fast and there wasn't any qualified staff at the time. Right. Right. right? So if you had right. any experience, it was just like, Oh yeah, you're on. Boom. Yep. Yep. So, uh, I only worked there for like a year though, cause this girl okay. and I broke up. Right. And I'll save you the details on that. Um, right. but you know, it made me sort of reassess, you know, what am I doing here in this college town, right? And Madison, Madison's a great town, but if you're not affiliated with the state government or you're not affiliated with the university, you're really sort of outside the social scene. Yes. And, and uh, it's like, you know, I, I think I'd be better off doing something else. So I started looking around and uh, these guys from Minneapolis showed up. Actually, they had grown up, these two guys had grown up in Madison. And so they were back visiting their parents, but they now lived in Minneapolis and they were from the finance industry or whatever, but they were young guys, right? Uh, 27, 28 years old at the time, which is, you know, how old I was by now. And uh, 
they were trying to open a brew pub up in Minneapolis. And so they offered me the job to do it. That place is called uh, the Town Hall Brewery. And it's been around since like 97. So I helped them build that and Jesus. moved up to Minneapolis and ran that for about three years before I left there. Um, you know, and subsequently that place has done really well. I think they've got three or four tap rooms now or something. Nice. Uh, yeah, so they've done really well. Uh, those guys' names uh, were Pete and Scott. Uh, Scott uh, bowed out pretty early on, um, but Pete stuck around. So Pete's still still in charge of the whole thing. Pete Rafakis, good dude, treated me really well. Great, great brewery. Um, you know, and then when I left, uh, I called up a friend of mine. His name's Mike Hoops. And Mike had been running a brewery up in Duluth and he had left there for whatever reason. And he was going to do construction work and then decided that had been a mistake. And so he had called me, you know, a few months earlier. He's like, hey, if you ever have any opportunities to come up, let me know. Well, I left the town hall. So I called Mike and I was like, dude, you should you should take this job. It's a good job. Yeah. Um, and really, the only reason I left was because I wanted to get into doing production work because I realized you know, at the time in Minnesota, you either had to be a brew pub and you could sell beer on premise, or you had to be a production brewery and you could only sell beer in the wholesale market. There was no on-premise sales available, right? right. No, those two things didn't meet. Okay. Um, and so I left and went to work for Minnesota Brewing Company, which was a big old contract regional brewery. And our, our brands there were like Grain Belt and Pigs yep. Off. We did a bunch of contracts for James Page and uh we did some stuff for pete's wicked and mike's lemonade and mike's lemonade yeah, yeah. I, rem I remember you saying that man i was yeah at the time particularly like what a wow yeah it was interesting uh it was good work it was good it was a good experience to figure out how to organize a, a big brewery um so i worked there i also at the same time while i, while I start was at the town hall i founded the minnesota craft brewers guild uh, along with a guy by the name of Dave Berg, who I was good buddies with up there. So Dave and I recruited uh, the town hall brewery attorney, his name's Jamie Snelling, uh, and convinced him to, to work for us pro bono to get this <laughs> guild going, right? And uh, we started working on trying to uh, update the laws that govern breweries in Minnesota to allow different people to you know, at the time, Summit was already up there in St. Paul, and they were a pretty, pretty big concern already. I mean, I think they were probably doing about thirty thousand barrels at the time. Which was huge back, back then. Yeah, yeah. But they couldn't sell beer in their tap room, uh, and conversely, so we were like, "Hey, come on!" You know, other places, <laughs> you know, you should allow this. This is going to be good for local business, and that was an interesting experience to. To do that, because we were going up to uh, the state capitol in St. Paul, and you know, I had to register as a lobbyist and we were talking to elected officials and trying to get stuff passed. And, you know, we had a modicum of success. Um, there was this group called the Minnesota Licensed Beverage Association that was opposed to what we were doing, right? Naturally. And uh, I remember I called that guy. His name was Jim something, right? I can't remember his last name. But uh, if we if we were to call up Dave Berg, Dave would know. Dave would know this guy's name because <laughs> some of the interactions were ridiculous. Uh, but I called the guy the first time. He's like, I never heard of you. It hung up on me. Like, I haven't heard of your organization. Haven't heard of you. I, I got nothing to talk about. Hung up the phone. Huh. I'm like, okay, well, I tried. So now I'm going to go try to push this. Instead of trying to build consensus yep. among 
different well, groups that advocate for different parts of the alcohol industry. I'm just going to go on my own. And, you know, we got through subcommittee hearings and so forth. And we were, we were, we were in some committee. If we passed this committee, it was going to go to a full vote of the house in, in St. Paul. So, I mean, we're like this close to getting stuff passed. All of a sudden this guy is a little bit like, Oh, this guy's for real. Right. Jim now is, yeah. yeah Jim is like, this yeah. guy's not, it's not fucking around. <laughs> so, uh, but it was going to be tight, right? Cause it's, it's dirty. Politics it's, oh, are dirty. The dirtiest. So we had going in, you know, we thought we had enough votes, but then, you know, some campaign finance donations were made. Mm. Votes started to change and, you know, da, da, da. so then it was more like a toss up. And so the, the Senator that was sort of advising us is like, look, here's how this works. If we go for it, you might win, but if you don't win, then we got to table this for three or four years. They won't hear it again. So if you don't want to run that risk, we could table it now and you can go back and you can negotiate more with these guys and see what you can work out or we can go for it and see what happens. So we're like, okay, so we, we, uh, we decided, well, we'll table and we'll negotiate. Now we got these guys' attention. We'll see what we can do. So uh, we do that and everybody sort of shakes hands and walks away for the moment. And a couple of weeks later, I call this guy, Jim, up again, the guy that hung up on me, right? I call him up and I'm like, hey man, look, I just, I just want to meet with you and talk about, you know, whatever, where we can find agreement on this stuff. And he's like, yeah, okay. So we set up a meeting, I go to his office with Dave, and with Jamie, our attorney, right? So the three of us and this guy, Jim, show up in this guy's office, you know, pleasantries, whatever, sit down. And he goes, okay, this is to start. First thing out of his mouth. So my constituents have given me permission to shove this legislation straight up your ass. Oh, oh this guy's a real big ball type dude. Yeah, that yeah. is exactly verbatim what he said to me, right? Fuck you. Well, yeah, right? <laughs> but I'm like, okay, that's, I'm not, you know, I'm not here to sling mud and have a fight. I mean, I, I didn't have to table this in order to do that. I right. could have just had to fight. So I'm like, look, man, let's just back up for a sec. I was like, I want to talk to you about Minnesota made beer, right? And how we sell more Minnesota made beer in your licensed beverage establishments. But Absolutely. that's the goal, right? Because Minnesota is going to drink the same amount of beer, whether it comes on a truck from Milwaukee or whether it comes on a truck from St. Louis or whether it comes on a truck from somebody making it here in Minnesota. Yeah. Wouldn't it be better if it came from Minnesota? Absolutely. Yeah. And it totally disarmed the guy. Right. And he's like, all right. So then we started to work together. Now, unfortunately, you know, that's when my time for the VLB where we met came up. And so mm -hmm. I left sort of midway through that now, but we got the ball rolling and, and eventually the people that sort of succeeded me in the craft brewers guild were able to, to get some things changed, including like bar time. Cause bar time used to be 1 AM in Minnesota. I think okay. now, like the rest of civilization, two, two thirty, whatever it is. Right. Uh, you know, and, they can now sell growlers at a tap room that you couldn't do. And I think all the breweries can have tap rooms now. And, you know, it's it's a modern brewery. It's a, it's a brewery friendly state now. Yeah. More. So that's how that started. And then uh, 
it was just it was just an interesting experience, you know, and, and it's paid off for me subsequently uh, because in in you know as my career goes on, I get more involved in like the Master Brewers Association, and then of course here in Ohio, I've been on the board of the Ohio Craft Brewers Guild, and so that early experience with that setting that guild up and getting that has really been helpful for me in these well, other other yeah. things. And just, I mean, for your own edification and 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 that of others on, you know, I guess podcasts like this, it's it's uh, the ability to affect. It's a Gen X C kind of thing, right? The ability to affect change in the context of an industry that was growing like that is one that doesn't make itself available to anyone that often. Um, well, right, A and B. You know, there's this. You know, brewers are sort of an odd class of people, anyways, right? Yeah. Like even within the brewing industry, like for example, uh, if you go to your sales team and you know, some of their equipment breaks down, they call a tech to come in and fix it. If you go to your kitchen and some of their equipment breaks down, they call a tech to come in and fix it. <laughs> yep. If you go in the brewery, Fuck that, like, I'm fixing your it. equipment breaks down, who fixes it? Yeah, the brewer. It's the tech, it's right. the brewer. Right. right. Yeah. You pick yeah. up the wrench and you figure out how to fix the thing. Right. And that, you know, and so I don't understand how that came to pass. Well, I, I do understand because people didn't have money and you had to, you know, you just do it. Well, you had to bootstrap it together. And, and those techs, those brewery techs are few and far between and they're expensive. 100%. Um, so you kind of you kind of make do and you got to figure it out, but uh, it's just funny. The mentality is different, right? It is. Well, so I mean, there's that mentality leads to, hey, you know what? I don't like the way this thing is being governed. Right. I'm going to go do something to fix it. Absolutely, because that's already in your nature. That's what you do, right? right. Well, and and I think you know, I I I don't think this is all that controversial, so I'm just going to say it. I mean, I think that that. Uh, that spirit, uh, and what you call it, a DIY spirit or, or whatever, um, exists in, 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 in my generation of brewers to some extent. I think it existed in, in your generation of brewers um, as well. And this is not, I think we're both Gen X people, but I'm talking about, you know, like the, the waves of brewers in, in, yep. here in the U.S. Um, I, I think that it exists in some younger brewers as well, particularly those who, you know, avail themselves of the opportunity to have some training. Um, but man, so many times you'll talk to younger brewers now and, and it's just like, yeah, but you'll you yeah. you present problems that you're like, man, just go fucking fix it. This is not a problem. Right. Right. Well, but here's the thing, I think, um, and you can see it. Uh, I, I think this existed when I was getting going and when you were getting going and it exists still today. And that is there are some guys that are here. Um, you know, some guys come to the brewery or to the beer industry that are looking for a job. Yeah. Right. It's a paycheck. They, yep. they don't really care. Those guys aren't going to put that level of effort into it. Right. There are other guys that think they want to do it, but they don't really understand what they're signing on for. And then they <laughs> get into it and they're like, this, this isn't the right thing for me. And they're going to fall by the wayside. That first guy, he might stick around, but he's only, he's only going to be filling that role. That's yep. it. He's yep. never doing anything extra. But then there's the guys that are like, you know what? No, this this speaks to me. This is what I want to do. Someday I want to run the brewery or have my own brewery or, or whatever. Those are the guys that will put that extra effort in. Yeah. And I, mean, I think back over my career, I mean, there were thousands of guys just like me 
in the in the industry that I would come across over this first you know five to ten years that I thought were talented brewers, right? But have fallen by the wayside and went and did something else because you know it's not super lucrative and it is hard work. And they finally get to the point where they're like, you know, I don't think this is worth it, or I'm getting married, I'm having kids, I got to make more money, or something drives them out. Right. Right. And, you know, at some point you find yourself, you're like, man, I'm like the last man standing. I don't walk around and find a lot of guys that go back to 93. Yeah. Right? When I started, there's, there's some, I'm not saying there aren't any. Sure. But, you know, it, it's, there's a natural selection that occurs and it occurred with people, uh, you know, when you were coming through and it's going to occur with people now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think at the, at the end of the day, if you really, if you really did an honest reckoning of it, I don't know that they're really all that much different than we were back then. Uh, it's just that you're now the manager and you have <laughs> to deal with the dumbasses, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. When, when you are an unself-aware dumbass is absolutely right. uh, what I was and, and still in some cases continue to be. Right. Um, but uh, I, I think that, yeah. And I mean, I, I don't mean to, to shout at clouds about this or anything, but I, I, I do think that the dynamic within the industry uh, has differentiated enough from just by level of competition, by, you know, yeah. we were saying uh, Summit was making 30,000 barrels and that was just a unbelievable amount back then yeah. i'm gonna make something like thirty thousand barrels this year right right um and it's not that much in comparison to breweries particularly in the context of michigan like bells or founders i'm making 10 percent or less of what those guys are making right um and so that has changed the dynamic in the way that the breweries are are, are are structured um it's it's still new but it's it's not I don't know. It's 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 not as kind of wild west, I think, as it used to be. And every old dude pines for the fjords of, of home. And I think I'm doing that a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a little more loosey goosey back in the day. Uh, you could do stuff at work that you couldn't get away with today, like going skinny dipping with the wait staff and the brew kettle and stuff. Sure. Like that. Things yeah. that you might might that one might do. I'm not saying I've done that. I'm no, someone no. might. You know, back in Madison. Saying that it is not possible now is what you're saying, right? That's more than anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Not certainly not possible for me is that no. this company. No. Well, also, I think my wife would appreciate that too much either. I think that she wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. I think it's safe to say. Now maybe if I invited her to go skinny dipping in the kettle, that 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 could work. Yeah, I think you don't tell anybody. I think yeah. that that's something you don't tell anybody about. We don't do that, everybody. <laughs> 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 watch out for part two of this conversation coming soon you know you're responsible for the livelihood of, of um, you know a handful of people um, it's scary uh, to get different perspectives on work on philosophy toward work and on the brewing industry specifically my passion yeah. is to make something that is as perfect as I can make it no matter what it is Man, you're super mediocre. Stop being mediocre. You're built to be not mediocre. I, so I got back to St. Louis and we sit in the meeting. I said, okay, guys, what are we going to do with the IPA? And they're like, yeah, we're probably not going to do anything with it. They weren't drinking beer to get out of their family and to get out of their life and get out of their head. It was just part they, of it. It was part of it. 
Um, and I think that's what, you know, that is a huge inf information uh, to me on, on drinking. And so Your first job as a brewer is to not give anyone a hangover they didn't have.